the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. If you're going to clap, do it. <laughs> We're continuing our Seven Mountain Mandate, which is not an um, advocacy of the new apostolic renewal, but is rather a recognition that in every culture there seems to be seven mountains or seven spheres of influence that if we're going to change and be what God's called us to be that we need to be concerned about and aware of. So far we've talked about the mountain of education and had those that stood to represent that area and willing to invest in salting and lighting education with support and encouragement. We talked about the mountain of religion, how the mountain of religion will be impacted by your testimony and by demonstrations of God's power. We talked about the mountain of family and how important it is to call our families back to a biblical model. We talked about the mountain of business and how God gives the ability to create wealth and that he's called some of you to that place. And this morning, if you get nervous about mixing politics and religion, get ready to buckle in because you're going to have to have an Alka-Seltzer by the time I'm done this morning. Buckle in tight. 
Because one of the mountains then that affects everything about a culture is the mountain or sphere of government. As you think about it, government defines morality for a secular culture. We can have a discussion and should about what the foundation of our country is, but rather than spending time there, we need to also look at what our country not was, but what it is today. And we have an increasingly secular culture whose morality is defined by legislation. What is right and what is wrong is defined by government. Government is intended to provide for the general welfare of its people, and that touches us in a multitude of ways. We are gathering together in freedom this morning because of the blood that Jesus shed, but we're also here because of the government uh, mandates that allow us to gather and exercise religion. Emergency services are provided by government. Military is an arm of the government. I was reading all of the things that government does, came across one article that was 100 ways government touches you. I have one here that's 50 ways that government touches you. I'm not going to read it to you in its entirety, but think about just some of these things. Social Security, College Loan Program, U.S. Postal Service, Medicare, food stamps, organic foods, OSHA, the Federal Minimum Wage, Family Medical Leave Act, National Archives, Department of the Interior, bank regulations, copyright patent laws, child restraint packaging rules, public education. I could go on and on and on about how government touches every part of our lives. I was having a conversation with my wife, and I was sitting also later at my desk trying to sort this out, trying to think of a single area in our lives that's not touched by government. And I couldn't come up with one. You say, well, the government doesn't decide what I can buy. Yes, they do. The, the, what goes on the shelf, what you buy for clothes, what's available and how much you pay because of taxes and other legislation. Everything that I could think of is impacted in some way by government. Well, I have a right to raise my children the way I want. Oh, really? How long have you been in the parenting system and found out the legislations that affect you and that impact you? Everything we do, this may be one of the widest reaching mountains. And I do not believe that our government was founded on the concept of separating church and state, but rather protecting the rights of the church to conduct itself in any fashion that it desires without government interference. That's the doctrine that's behind what we call typically separation of church and state. I do not believe that any of the founding fathers wanted us to leave our religion in the parking lot when we engaged in the political process. And I will tell you that I do not believe that Scripture says politics and church should be separate. We believe that lie, and because we've believed that lie, we've allowed those that we do not agree with decide what we will submit to and how we will live. And I'm calling you this morning that if we're going to change our culture, it's time for the church to say, we're not backing up and standing in a corner because you don't want us involved. We're walking in loud and bold because we have as much right to be here in this process as anybody else in the country. And it's time to take it out of the back room of politics and put it in the sanctuary of the church and say, as God anoints and calls, we're going to salt and light our political system by our involvement in it. Otherwise, you abdicate your right to those who disagree with you to impose on you things that you are 
opposed to. So I'm calling you this morning to stand up in the area of government. Now, let's, let's do a little bit of a progression, a foundation, before we get to the end of the message. And like I said, buckle in. Um, we will have Pepto-Bismol at the door. <laughs> government, the concept of government is divinely ordained. Why does that matter? Because mankind didn't come up with the idea of human government. God came up with the idea of human government. And if God instituted the idea of human government, those who believe in God and are God-fearers should bring all of their conviction to the table knowing that the initiation of, the, of human government began after God destroyed the world by a flood. Think about that, would you? Following God destroying the world by a flood, one of the safeguards that he instituted there at the beginning was human government. It's been cataloged that there are seven dispensations of God dealing with mankind. I am not a dispensationalist who believes that one dispensation ends and another begins, but I am a dispensationalist in the sense of believing that at different times in human history, God dealt with mankind in different ways, and that those ways of dealing with mankind did not cease to exist, but layered as we approach what will be the final dispensation, the millennial kingdom, Jesus ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. The first dispensation, to give you a context of where we're headed, was called innocence. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? How many have heard that before? Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened there? They were without sin. They had no moral failure woven into their system. And God called them to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and called them to serve him in that garden. There was no fallen nature in them, but they were tempted. And in that temptation without a fallen nature, they succumbed. And the time of innocence ended when they were banished from the garden. Then we have a time that's called the time of conscience. The Bible talks about people doing whatever they would do. In the end of that period of conscience, people trying to respond to the inner voice of God in their own hearts ended this way. The thoughts of every man's heart was only evil continually. And God decided that man had so perverted his creation that there was no redemption for them and called a preacher of righteousness by the name of Noah. Noah and his wife and family built an ark to the saving of their household, and they were on the ark with two of every animal. Do you believe that really happened? Yes, I do. And it wouldn't be hard for me to prove to you that it could happen and that it did happen. And the flood covered the earth, and a new generation, a new group of people were released on the earth. And the first thing God did after innocence and conscience was to establish principles of human government. As if God were saying, in your innocence you failed, in my voice in your heart you failed, and I'm establishing a safeguard. What is that? That man will now be accountable to man. That rules will be established, that laws will be established, that guidelines will be established, and man is now authorized by God to hold mankind accountable. And here's the first precept in government that God gave Noah. Are you ready for this? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. That was the first 
line in the sand that God drew, the first precept that he established for the government of human beings. God was saying, man needs rules, man needs laws. I will establish them. God said he would establish them, and then man would be responsible to hold men accountable. It was an institution of God. The New Testament gives great support to the biblical concept of government. Listen to these verses, Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 17, if you read the whole passage. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high position. The Old Testament, Psalm chapter 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Luke 20, 25. He said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." And then this verse in Proverbs chapter 29, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, people groan. So I'm saying to you this morning, if you want to separate politics and faith, if you want to remove the discussion of politics from the church, there are a number of verses you need to black mark out of your Bible. But if you're going to be a Bible-believing, Bible-embracing, Bible-following child of God, you're going to deal with the things God deals with, and God deals with the issue of government. The relationship between God and government is vitally important in God's economy. Nations that rejected him were judged. Look at the nation of Israel. His chosen people were judged when they walked away from his precepts. Other nations in the Old Testament were judged when they walked away from his precepts. You say, why doesn't that happen today? Because we're living in a New Testament era where God deals with the hearts of men rather than the government of nations. But if the hearts of men are right, then we'll live in a place where righteousness will exalt a nation. Who decides that? God decides that. Again, was the U.S. built on Christian foundations? We can argue that all day long. But you cannot, you cannot, with a straight face and a clean heart, tell me that there was no influence or religious influence on the founding of our nation. You can rewrite history, but they were men of faith. We may not have agreed with all of their doctrine, but they were men of faith who believed in God. Government, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> government needs to be redeemed. Government needs to be redeemed. What does that mean? It means it needs to be bought back from the power of the enemy and put back in the hands of the righteous. Who decides what is righteous? God does and his word does. And you are not, hear me this morning, you are not out of line to bring your faith convictions into the, into the sphere of government. You're out of line if you don't. 
If you believe in a God and love a God who created government, then you need to care and love about the government you serve under and understand its implications on your life. I'm not suggesting this morning that we dictate religious faith to the nation. That is not what I'm saying. But somebody is going to decide what's right and wrong. Somebody's going to decide how we do business. Somebody's going to decide what freedom we have to send missionaries. Someone's going to decide whether marijuana is legal or not. Somebody's going to decide those things. And it ought to be people of faith. Is there anyone in the house this morning? It ought to be people of faith. It will continue until this day. Do you know how government's going to end? It's going to end this way. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. And out of his, Jesus' mouth, goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them (coughs) with a rod of iron And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What will be the final fulfillment or culmination of human government? It will be when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, takes the throne of the planet and rules and reigns over this earth for a thousand years. That's the goal we need to influence between here and there. Oh, I can feel it already. Some of you, some of you are frustrated, you're hurting, and this makes you uncomfortable. But don't ever forget, I feel like I have a calling from God to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) So, (laughs) stay with me for a little while longer. All right, now, on the other side of the coin, are you ready? How many are still buckled in? Because this next part is going to get really tough. And this is the part where whatever I say will be used against me. You need to listen carefully. How many of you have two ears that are currently working? And how many of you have a brain that is functioning? Okay. (laughs) Did I lose a few of you over here? Is that what happened? I just... Don't point at someone. I was asking you as a personal declaration, not an evaluation of your neighbor. (laughs) Are you ready? Is everybody ready? This is making me, I'm really nervous right now. Government is established by God. Forms of government are not divinely ordained. Oh. Do you know what that means? It means you can be as godly a Christian under communism as you can under capitalism. God didn't establish a form of government as his form. He calls those who are Christ followers and calls the world to use their thinking processes and abilities and skills that he gives us to craft a way of honoring him. It's the same reason you won't find the denomination in the Bible. It's the same reason you will not find how to do church in the Bible. God does not ordain methodology. He ordains big picture principles that we're to find a way to serve under. Democracy. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, help me right now. Democracy is not divinely ordained. The church does not operate as a democracy. 
That's what's wrong with the church. The church thinks in America it's a democracy and you can vote the preacher out. <laughs> Shouldn't say that on Pastor Appreciation Day, should I? <laughs> it's a day that it's safe to say it. God operates in his kingdom by a theocracy. All through the New Testament, he operated apostolically with men and women appointed by him to fulfill his purposes. But because, listen, because we can cite our foundation in America as having a godly foundation and we can find writings of the forefathers that should motivate us and call us back to our roots, but that doesn't mean that God has ordained that every nation of the world operate like we operate, nor does it mean that God has ordained our system. Part of the problem is we think we're a democracy. I've heard people say that the United States is a democracy. We are not a democracy. <clears throat> the best way to describe us isn't as a democracy, but as a representative democracy. What does that mean? There are very few things that require a direct vote of the people. In local law, on monetary issues, often there'll be... <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, a direct vote of the people, but what we by and large do, particularly on the national level, on the state level, and on the local level, is we elect people to represent our viewpoints. We elect representatives. That means, church, you've got to hear me this morning, that one of the most important things we can do is to be what we've been accused of. The church has been accused of, in a snide way, of being values voters. And I've championed that from the top. I've championed that from the beginning. I don't vote a party. I vote my values, and I will support the party that most closely aligns with what my biblical values are. I do not support abortion. I do not support the oppression of the poor. I can go on a list of things that I do not do and say to you that we need to elect people who represent what we believe. It's a representative form of government. And coupled with that, we are a representative democracy. We're also a constitutional democracy, which means we have a governing document that should affect us in how we do business as a nation. And I hate to, I hate to bring this up right now, but the Supreme Court is not supposed to write law. They're to adjudicate law. The executive branch isn't to write law. They're to execute law. And the legislative branch is where the working out of law should happen. But you can look around and see how confused we are and how much chaos goes on when the division of powers is eroded in such fashion. And it's time for us to stand up and say we know who we are and we're going to elect people who will honor where we've been and then we'll represent and honor what we believe to be the faith principles that, yes, made this nation strong and, yes, are still viable today. And, yes, as long as I have a voice, I'm going to still call for legislation that reflects biblical righteousness because that's what we've been called to do. Here's why you have to understand that the form of government is not divinely ordained. 
If the form of government were divinely ordained, then the only place Christianity could truly prosper would be in a constitutional or representative democracy. It, it, can, ha- it can flourish anywhere in the world. Do you know that when Idi Amin uh, in Uganda many, many years ago tried to destroy the church when he was removed from power, there was a church underground that was stronger than it had ever been? Do you know when the Iron Curtain was lifted in Russia, what we found? That when religion was supposed to be pushed to the side and squashed, there were believers underground that were stronger than they'd ever been. God is not limited by a form of government. He's not limited by human power. Anywhere that the Spirit of God can go, the church will be strong. And wherever he builds his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we need to understand that the work of God is not subject to government, but government should be subject to the principles of God. And I'll fight for that premise. God can work in any governmental structure. So then... I haven't got to the nervous part yet. (laughs) The New Testament, nor the Old Testament, condemns slavery. Pastor, you can't say that. Are you so naive as to understand, as to not understand that slavery is spawned in hell and it is an evil, evil thing? The evil isn't in the form, it's in the hearts of men. And the slavery in the United States was evil because we treated people who were God's creation as chattel or as property to be sold and abused and used in any fashion we wanted, and that system was wrong. But I also challenge you as a student of history to go back and study the Civil War, and you'll find out there was much more at stake than that single issue that's been used to be championed today. Are you pro-slavery? I am not. People are people, should be treated in the uh, honor of God and should be recognized. But in the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament tell us? In the Old Testament, it tells us that if a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years as a slave, in the seventh year, you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing for your winepress. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, this slave you've had for six years, your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and is well off with your family. Take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. He will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because his servant to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired hand and the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. What is happening there? God is dealing with the hearts of people within a system, not dealing with the, with the system and ignoring the hearts of people. You can have a horrible system, but if the people's hearts are right to God, they'll still treat each other with respect. They'll still treat each other with kindness. They'll still treat each other in a biblical way. That the issue is the form of government will not change the hearts of men. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in him that will change the hearts of men. 
when Paul found Onesimus, who had fled from Philemon, his master. What did Paul do? He sent him back to his master and said to his master, from now on, you don't treat him like a slave, you treat him like my brother. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the hearts of men that are at stake, hearts of men that are at issue. And scripture is very clear about that. An external code will not change the hearts of people. Can I say one more thing? I have more than one. Please do not. Let me back up. Let me start over because you're not ready for this. I got to warm you up a little. I am a red, white, and blue flag-waving America, and I'd rather live in, the Mer- in America than anywhere on the planet, and I'm proud to be an American. I will champion that anywhere. However, can I remind us of something? That we cannot make the mistake of mixing patriotism with our faith. They're not the same. I do believe that people of faith have the right to be patriotic. And I think if you are unpatriotic in the truest sense of the treasonous term, then you're not a Christ follower because you'll respect government and governmental institutions. But we have to be really, really careful that it's never my country right or wrong. How many are still in the house? You can be a Christian and not be a flag waver. But you can't be a Christian and disrespect government institutions. And I am frustrated, and the danger of this message is that we would equate, that we would equate our faith and patriotism as the same. What we have to do is understand what our role is within the government. A system of freedom can be detrimental to a culture who's not been prepared for that freedom. You can look at nations around the world, beginning with the breakdown of the Soviet Union and when so-called freedoms went to the Soviet bloc. If the heart of mankind isn't changed, giving them any kind of freedom won't change anything. It's an issue of the heart, and we need to not mistake those two. Almost all of the founding fathers, Washington, Franklin, Madison, Jefferson, Adams, and Henry, expressed um, this sentiment of faith and government in one way or another that in effect only a virtuous people can maintain a free society. Their position was only a virtuous people can maintain a free society. A free society will not create virtuous people. We've got to keep that order right. John Adams said this to the officers of the Massachusetts 1st Brigade in October of 1798. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to government of the government of any other. Let me read that again. Our Constitution was made for a moral people and religious people. Because what makes a system work are the hearts of its people. Faith can flourish anywhere. Let's not forget that. We are not experiencing God's blessing 
because we're Americans. Americans should seek to live in a way that we experience God's blessing. How many of you can understand that distinction? So then, now, that was all introduction. (laughs) The heart of the message. Our form of government invites broad-based participation. You can say, no, they don't. They push us out. No, 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 no. Our form of government invites broad-based participation. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be... (coughs) thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are called to influence and illuminate. Salt and light. Influence and illuminate. That's what we've been called to do. It's the call of every believer. So I'm going to be really plain here on how you can salt and light the mountain of government. How can we begin to change it? Are you ready? I'd like you to jot these down and make these a prayer concern. Number one, most important of all, if you're a Christ follower, you should vote. You should vote. The number of evangelicals who do not vote is abominable. Evangelicals are not a single block. Evangelicals are not a single issue voting group. But evangelicals should vote their values. And I know (coughs) that irritates some people, but... There's a whole group out there that are voting their value. And yes, I believe that every Christ follower should vote. But I don't believe every uh, every one of us should vote. I don't believe every one of us should vote. Ignorant voters shouldn't vote. (laughs) This this is going to get deep here. I'm going to roll up my pant legs. (laughs) CNN voters shouldn't vote. MSNBC voters shouldn't vote. And an informed electorate is essential to the defense and propagation of freedom. And you need to look beyond the fake news, and there is plenty of it out there. You need to look beyond all of that and get to the heart of the matter. Inform yourself on the issue, and don't just be a voter who throws a ballot for a, for a party. Know what the issues are and vote your values. Educate yourself. That's work. It's hard. And I know one of the highest character qualities Americans have is laziness. We don't want to do the work. Tell me how to vote. Um, I'd be glad to when I step off this platform and I'm in the foyer. I'll tell you how to vote on anything you want to know about. But that's not how this should work. How many are hearing me? You should vote. Inform yourself. Get involved. It's, I read the stats. The number of people that aren't engaging the system. Don't cry about what's happening in America. Don't sing the sad song. Don't complain. Don't say anything about the condition of our nation if you don't have enough gumption to inform yourself and cast a ballot. Second, campaign. Get involved in a campaign. Are you calling calling us to get involved in the process? That is so, it's such a dirty process. It's only a dirty process because we've let dirty people run the process. (laughs) Come on, is anyone hearing me right now? Get involved. I've been involved in political processes, and you shall not surely die. 
You don't have to backslide. You don't have to, but who is going to run the processes if we don't get engaged? The first time, some of you will remember this, the first time that I got involved in any kind of a political campaign, and I am embarrassed to say this, but was when Pat Robertson ran for president. How many remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? And he had it figured out if we had this many voters, this many at the primaries, this many caucuses, he would win the election, all that went with that. And I got involved as a uh, I went to the county and I did, did a number of things, but said things along the way that I found out from the established Republican Party were not appropriate for me to say, but I was young enough that I did not know and I did not care, and I said them anyway. And, and there needs to be the voice of the believer in the campaign. Yeah. Let me give you a reverse example. Greg Baker at The Family Leader has become a good friend of mine. Greg Baker joined the campaign of Bob Vanderplas running for government or governor. When Greg Baker joined the campaign for um, uh, Vanderplas, he was not a Christ follower. Are you are you with me? He was not a Christ follower, but he wanted to attach himself to a campaign that would win. And so he joined the campaign. Here's the other piece. The Vanderplatz campaign didn't query him as to his religious faith. They needed workers. He got involved. And his story is this. I was, I was on the liberal side of every moral issue. I was not a believer. But I began to work in this campaign. And I heard their testimonies. And I saw their lifestyle. I watched how they behaved. I heard what they believed. I listened to uh, uh, Vanderplas's testimony. And before long, I discovered something real that I had never seen before. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's where the battleground happens. Now watch. If you could be unregenerate, uh, not a Christ follower, and work on the Vanderplatz campaign and it not convict you, then that campaign's a hypocrisy. I didn't say he had to get saved. I said that he unconvicted. Well, don't you think we could have the, the reverse effect? Don't you think we could engage in other campaigns who may share our political ideals but not share our religious faith? And by investing in that, begin to interact and share our faith and be salt and light and win men and women to Jesus Christ? God wants some of you to get out of your house and knock on doors. God wants some of you to get out of your comfort zone and begin to campaign and get involved in campaigns. What would happen if every one of us got behind somebody we believed in and their message and values? We could change the entire shape of the face of Iowa by being salt and light and becoming campaigners. We elect representatives. Who do you want picking them? Who do you want picking them? I appreciate Adam Krell and Todd Havel, and there may be others here that I don't know about that have engaged the political processes. We need people who are willing to engage the campaign. I'll come back to that in, in a moment. Um, third, <laughs> some of you need to lobby. 
What does that mean? It means you go up to, here's, it's, it's simple. I knew I'd get real quiet here. I'm talking about being salt and light. I've gone up to the Capitol a couple of times. Schedule's really tight. It's hard to do. And this is what, what happened. Um, we've been invited to go up to the Capitol. Anybody can do this. You don't have to have a license. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to be able to speak limited, um, with limited intelligence and walk around and talk to people. That's all you've got to do. Somebody's influencing them. Someone is talking to them. Someone is pushing them. And I went up to the Capitol, and every one of the representatives that I had, uh, uh, at least I thought a right to talk to, refused to come out and see me. They were busy, but there were others in the hallway that I could talk to, that I could pray with, that I could hear their story, that I could say, I'm glad for where you stand. I'm glad for what you're about. There's a Christian community praying for you and believing in your behalf. And I didn't find one of them that was offended by my religious talk in the Capitol building. They're open to that. Where is the church? Where is the church? Some of us need to be up there letting our faith be heard. Now, when we had the discussion about um, uh, person, I think it, was, it wasn't personhood, it was, pardon, what was it? Fetal heart bill. I was amazed at how many people showed up for that. <laughs> and we're standing in there, this mixed company in this room, wall to wall, and someone begins to lead a song about, come Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, come fill this place. And we're all singing that. What would happen? What would happen if there are a group of believers that were up there when there's not an issue that trips their trigger? And we're singing in the hallways. And we're praying the favor of God over the place. It's not hard to do. It doesn't cost you anything. You can hand them cards. The number of things that you can do. We need to engage in the lobbying process. Yes, some of you, God's going to put a call on your heart to go up to the Capitol and just pray. We're not there to fight. We're there to pray. Berean as a church at one time, and I understand it, and I would have fought too, fought with this city over the sign. But after we won that battle, then we had to regain a relationship and we have a great relationship. I wish I could tell you some of the things that are being planned to team with the city for 2019. I'm so excited about some things we get to do because we want them to know we're not just here to fight. We're here to support and encourage and stand with you. We're praying for you. You're in a tough place. Listen, one of the most difficult places to serve is in the legislature when you're there away from your family and away from what you're familiar with. The church needs to be there. I I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God wants some of you to lobby. Just to lobby. It's not hard to do. And fifth, we need more of you to run for office. As I mentioned, Adam Krell and Todd Havel, and there may be others. Oh. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Because if God would untie my hands and tell me it's okay, my campaign would start tomorrow. I don't know what I'd run for, but I'd run for something just because I'd love to debate some of those people. <laughs> I'd like them to know there's another voice that needs to be heard. 
And I have prayed about it sincerely, and God's not released me from that. He doesn't want me in a political place. He wants me right here. And I'm telling you that's not for everybody. Have you ever heard a Christian call a talk show and wish that they hadn't told anybody they were a Christian? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They sound so silly. But there are those that God will call that will raise up, and I want to champion that. I want anyone from Brian to know that we will pray for those that run for office. We will stand with them. We will encourage them. And let's get people of faith into the elected offices of our land and watch how the landscape changes. And this isn't about turning the nation into a theocracy. It's about being in a representative form of government where we are invited to participate and we sit back and complain. Let's quit criticizing and complaining. Let's get off the pew and out on the neighborhoods and knock on doors and let's in influence our world for the king by engaging the process and sanctifying what has become in some circles a very slimy business. You say, well, I can't run clean and win. I'm not calling you to win. I'm not asking you to win. I'm asking you to run. Let the voice be heard. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, I know that that's talking about overseers in the church, but let's take the broad picture. Anyone who sets his heart on being an overseer, God is saying that if you are a true Christ follower with a right heart and you want to rule over people or lead would be a better word, oversee people, you're desiring something God desires for you. Are you hearing me? We have this idea, well, I'm just a, I'm just a lowly Christian, and I'm going to sit at home and read my daily promise verse, and I'll pray because I don't want to exalt myself. I don't want to be out in the forefront. I don't want anybody looking at me. Oh, now, wait a minute. The Bible says you're supposed to want people to look at you. It says you're supposed to want people to look at you. Let them see your good works that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. And if you desire to be an overseer as a child of God, he wants you to be an overseer. You desire a good thing. He is saying that he's putting his blessing on Christ's followers who want to achieve offices of oversight in our country. I don't know how much clearer a call from God you can hear. Pastor Nathan, would you come? I don't know what you're going to play, Star Spangled Banner or something, I don't know. <laughs> so here's what I'm asking this morning. I'm a little bit long, I didn't realize that till just now. But I believe God's going to call some of you to service. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Maybe this simple. Pastor, I repent of not voting. I repent of not being an informed voter. I'm going to inform myself. I'm going to engage the process. I'm going to do my civic and spiritual responsibility by engaging the process. Now, I want, not yet, but those of you who feel like, all right, I'm going to become a godly informed voter, I want you to come forward. God may have spoken to some of others of you to go a little deeper in the process. Maybe campaigning, maybe lobbying, maybe serving in some other area. 
And some others, God may be saying to you, yes, it's time. It's time for you to stand up and be counted and run for office and let your voice be heard. But if God is calling you in a new way to challenge. Now, if you're already a values-informed voter, you don't have to come forward if you're not moving from where you were. But if you're moving from where you were, I want to be more informed, better informed. I want to get involved in lobbying. I want to get involved in campaigning. I want to get involved in running in any one of those areas. I want to commission you to challenge the hill of government this morning because as a sidebar to that, our entire military system that we don't have time to talk about is directly related to the government. And our safety within our borders is directly related to the government. If God's calling you to challenge the hill, I want you to stand up and come down here in the front. Go to the front of the North Chapel in your balcony. Come down and join us out here. Anybody, God's speaking to you about greater involvement in politics and government. Surely there's somebody. Surely there's somebody. Don't make this for naught this morning. Come join me up here. He's talking to you. Could be just a better voter. It could be serving. It could be running. Another call, another capacity. I want you to come forward, whatever that would mean. Whatever that would mean for you, I want you to come forward. Anyone else? I want you to come forward. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God gets a hold of some more of your hearts. <laughs> and if this made you uncomfortable this morning, I'm not a bit sorry. Yeah, come on over this way. Come on over, get us all together here. All right, now I'm going to ask for those of you that will pray for these who have come forward to everyone to stand, everyone to stand. And those of you, I want you to come and lay hands on these who have come forward, would you? Just come this way, come this way. Need a bunch of you to come down here. It doesn't cost you a dime. Just come down, lay hands on someone as I pray for them. Would you do that? Let's gather this way. We have that sign on the back doors for a reason. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Today, what would you say the God of the United States is? Money, power, perversion. What would you say is our God? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We've been invited to do that. Our form invites us to do that. People don't, but the form does. Let's respond. Would you stretch your hand? Those who are out there, stretch your hand this way. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love for us. You've placed us in a place where the door is wide open for us to influence governmental processes that affect every part of our life. God, I pray that the, the voice of your spirit in the hearts of those who have come forward would become a roar, would become a, would become a shout. And God, that you'd speak to all of us about engaging the process as your word calls us to. I believe, God, that out of out of here could come senators and representatives on national and uh, state levels, uh, national offices are all here in embryonic form that will respond to you and walk with you. And I confess that under your anointing in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees with me said... Amen, amen, amen. Give Jesus a hand if you love him this morning.